For our Bible study, if you would turn with me, please, to 1 Kings, and uh, our focus will be chapter 13, but um, we do need to set the stage a little bit. So we are going to see an example of prayer. And what is very interesting about this particular example of prayer is that it is right in the middle of um, a couple of events that the Lord, really miraculous events, that the Lord provided as a sign confirming his word, right? So his word uh, through the mouth of a prophet uh, speaks foretelling the future. We'll look at that in just a minute. And uh, some signs were given and prayer figures uh, as part of those signs. Okay, so um, just to uh, note the setting, first of all, um, what we're dealing with here is uh, an experience with the first of the kings of the northern kingdom. So uh, in, after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam uh, took the throne. And um, in his early days, uh, the northern kingdom rebelled, right, or the northern ten tribes. And uh, this was actually anticipated before Solomon died. And so you have, in chapter 11, you have... Uh, the record of a prophet uh, named Ahijah who comes to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and uh, tells him essentially that I am going to tear ten of the tribes out of Solomon's son's hands and give them to you. Right? And uh, again, this was before Solomon died. Solomon uh, must have gotten wind of it, and he actually tries to put Jeroboam to death. Jeroboam flees down to Egypt until Solomon dies, and when he hears that Solomon has died, then he comes back. But I do want you to note uh, two verses in Ahijah's prophecy. So chapter 11, look at verse 33. Um so he's saying, I'm going to, well, verse 31, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee, verse 33, because that they, Solomon, have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. Okay, So when this prophet comes to Jeroboam and says, this is the word of the Lord, I'm going to tear ten tribes out of the hands of Solomon, give them to you, the reason, idolatry. Right? Then notice also verse 38. Ahijah is still speaking. And it shall be, 
If thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and will build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. Okay, so what is so interesting, and actually I didn't read uh, verse 34, because verse 34 he says, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him a prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake. Right, So he's going to reserve part for David's sake. So then at verse 38, he says, Jeroboam, if you will listen to me and if you will follow me and if you will obey me and walk in my ways, then I will build you a sure house like I've built for David. Right. So even as he's reserving part for David because of David, though he's taking away a large part because of Solomon's sin, Solomon's idolatry, the word to Jeroboam is, you obey me, I'll build you a sure house. Okay, So that is uh, the setting part of it. Uh, the next part, we want to look at chapter 12. Okay, So in uh, the course of time, as I already mentioned, Solomon dies. Uh, Rehoboam uh, doesn't follow the counsel of the older men, follows the counsel of the young men, speaks harshly to the people. They say, we're out of here. Um, and Jeroboam becomes king. Now, notice what Jeroboam thinks. Verse 26 of chapter 12, And Jeroboam said in his heart, right? so this is what he's chewing and cogitating on, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Okay, so, so think about what he's thinking. All right, so he is established in the kingdom, and we've passed over some of the account. Rehoboam actually gets ready to go and make war to bring them back, and a prophet comes to Rehoboam and says, nope, don't do this, this is of me. And they actually listen, right? So Rehoboam doesn't go to battle. Jeroboam's there. But Jeroboam is thinking, you know, three times a year, all of us are supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship. If that happens, he's thinking, you know, what's to stop them from thinking, hey, let's follow Rehoboam, son of David again, right? And so what he's fearing is that obeying the Lord will cost him the kingdom. Right? They'll follow Rehoboam. They'll kill me. But what had the Lord said? The Lord said, if you will hearken unto all that I command you, part of which is go worship three times a year, right? If you will hearken unto all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, and well, I will be with you 
and will build you a sure house as I built for David and will and will give Israel unto you. That is the word of the Lord. And what he's thinking is if if these people obey the Lord, it'll cost me the kingdom. Right? So what you have here is a, a classic example of unbelief. He is thinking exactly opposite from what the word of God said. God said, obey me. I'll build you a sure house. I'll be with you. I'm giving Israel to you. He's saying, if I obey God, if these people obey God, they're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to lose them. Right? Unbelief. And that leads, verse 28 of chapter 12, to idolatry. Think of it, right? Verse 28, Wherefore the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, that's towards the south, and put the other in Dan, that's towards the north. So hey, this is all convenient for you. Don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Hey, you know, we're taking care of this. right? And so... His unbelief, God promised, obey me, kingdom's yours. His unbelief, worrying, well, if if we obey, we lose the kingdom, right? His unbelief prompts him to idolatry, which as we pointed out in chapter 11, verse 33, is the very reason why God took the kingdom from Solomon. Right? Remarkable. Well, that's the setting, right, Uh, as far as Jeroboam is concerned. Then the next element is we find chapter 13, verse 1, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah. We have no idea what this guy's name is. Uh, He appears on the scene for this this moment, right? Uh, Details of this chapter, and then he's gone. But uh, here's this man of God. He came out of Judah by the word of the Lord. And notice how this is emphasized, by the way. This word of the Lord is emphasized. He comes out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And the man of God cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. You see what's being emphasized here. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. This is remarkable. Josiah is born like 400 years later. He's, you know, it's his sons that are reigning when uh, Babylon carries them off. Right. So 400-ish years later. Uh, but here, this prophet says, "Here's his name, and upon the altar." Shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee? And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. See what's being emphasized here. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. 
And it came to pass when the king Jeroboam, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar. Remember, he was there worshiping, burning incense, whatever. He put forth his hand from the altar, uh, saying, "Lay hold on him." Right. So he's standing there. Man of God comes up, says his bit. Hand goes out. Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against the man of God, dried up so that he couldn't pull it again to himself. So there it is, stuck, right? Remarkable. So that's our setting. Now, let's notice the signs. Okay, so the signs that are spoken of here, uh, he had predicted, verse 3, that the altar would be rent. Verse 5, that's exactly what happened. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Right? And uh, so this sign clearly was given as confirming the prophetic word that would take place some 400 years later. But the immediate confirmation is uh, altar splits in two. Right? So no human hand, miraculous, boom. Right? right there. All the while, Jeroboam's like this. Okay? So... So here's this man of God, and, and you know, you wonder, we aren't told, right? So total speculation, but you wonder what he's thinking when the, Lord, the Lord's word comes to him and says, okay, I, want, I got a job for you, and you got to go up there, and you know, right there, Jeroboam may be there, whatever, you're going to speak against this. And of course, I'm, you know, maybe the thought crossed his mind, you know, what if, you know? But so far, he's willing to obey the Lord, right? So he goes up, speaks. Uh, Jeroboam, you know, essentially tries to lay hold on him and, and the drama, right? So sees him, lay hold on him. And I'm sure right, right away, the hand is frozen and the altar splits, right? And so then in the midst of that, we have this, verse 6. This hand is withered, and of course that protected the man of God. And then verse 6, the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. Okay, so let's think about this. The prophet comes and he claims to be speaking what? The word of the Lord. Right? Do we have any evidence that he actually was speaking the word of the Lord? Yeah. Altar split, just like he said it would, by the word of the Lord. Right? Jeroboam is frozen, his arm, right? And Jeroboam, there is no mistaking in Jeroboam's mind what he attributes that to, right? 
Because he says, would you ask the Lord to fix my hand? Right? So in Jeroboam's mind, this is the Lord. Right? This really is the Lord. Right? And so um, amazingly, he makes this request that the man would pray for him. Okay? And you know what he does? Right? Middle of verse 6. The man of God besought the Lord. Right? So again, you know, I'm sure we aren't told exactly, but I, I'm almost certain that he would have prayed out loud. Right? So that the king is very aware that he's actually talking to God. Right? So he beseeches the Lord and result, king's hand was restored to him again and became as it was before. Right? So, so again, think of, think of the miraculous events taking place here. Altar split in two, hand frozen first, and then as a result of prayer, released again as it was before. Right? Incredible testimony to the power of God. Right? The word of God saying this altar is going to be destroyed by Josiah. Here's his name and here's what he's going to do. And here's the sign. Right? And there's an extra sign because Jeroboam was you know, going to seize him. Right? So you have these signs. The altar split, the hand withered, prayer restoring the withered hand. Now, we are not there. What do you think it would have been like to be there? Well, we know of two sons of a prophet who lived there, who were there, and they went home and couldn't stop talking about it, right, to their dad. I mean, again, what, a, what just amazing, happening right before your eyes, So, what do, you, what do you think the effect would be on, for example, Jeroboam, right? This altar is his doing, right? He's there worshiping and so on. Obviously, the Lord is not pleased, right? Though the Lord graciously restored his hand, it's obvious that the Lord is not pleased. So again, with the, with the evidence right in front of his face and actually felt in his arm, what do you think Jeroboam would do? Well, he didn't. <laughs> Look at verse 7. First of all, we have the king saying to the man of God, come home with me, refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Right? So you think, oh, wow, yeah, he's, he's obviously affected well and positively, and rather than seizing the man of God, he's inviting him home, he'll reward him, and so on. Right? So he, he's turned. The man of God said unto the king, if you would give me half your house, I will not go in with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water in this place. Why? 
For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink any water, nor turn again by the same way that you came. Right? And so he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. And so here's further evidence of the seriousness of the word of God. Here's this prophet, did these dramatic things, healed my hand, and yet he is insisting on obeying the word of the Lord. Further example to Jeroboam. Look down at verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Right? The Lord's, the Lord's word from Ahijah to that man was, you obey me, I'll build you a sure house, I'll be with you, the kingdom's yours. His unbelief turned him to idolatry and it destroyed him. Right? And even with the signs and the prayer and the healing, even with, he didn't turn. And what is so sad is that, that this which he did, those two idols, that gets repeated again and again and again and again and again through the historical record of that northern kingdom. So-and-so did this. He didn't follow the ways of the Lord, but he walked in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He didn't turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Right? There was a king following Ahab right, who was awful with his Baal worship, exceeded you know, many of the kings in their wickedness. He had a son or a grandson, and he turned away from those things, but he didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, right? So, I mean, this became one of the defining sins of the northern kingdom, and ultimately, of course, led to its destruction. Sinful unbelief, even in the face of signs that he felt. Right? And that prayer to the living God helped him. Still would not believe. But it gets sadder yet. Because though this man of God, who obeyed the word of the Lord and went on this mission, comes from Judah up to Bethel, knows that he's going to speak these hard words against this place that the king of the northern kingdom so enjoys, and uh, the Lord protects him mercifully to the invitation to come home with him. He stands on the word of God. Right? We read that, verses 7 through 10. Right. So, so far you're thinking, great, you know, just wonderful a story. And it's just, you know, power of God and, you know, this prophecy 400 years before it happens. And, but then the man, as verse 10 tells us, goes back another way. But rather than continuing on and hastening on home, he perhaps legitimately, who knows, right? He ends up sitting down under a tree. He's still not home, still not back in Judah, 
before he gets all the way home, he takes a break, sits under a tree. While he's there, a man rides up on a donkey. And notice the conversation. Verse 14. So he went after this older prophet, went after the man of God. How are we doing here? We've got a bit of time. Um, found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. So Jeroboam had said to him. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water here, there, nor turn again to go by the way that you came. Okay, so let's pause for a minute. Here is this man, and he he heard the word of the Lord. When he was tested with Jeroboam, he answered with the word of the Lord and stood true to it. Now he is tested a second time. And he answers with the word of the Lord, and so far it looks like he's going to stand true to it. Right? And again, remember that he has just experienced such clear demonstration of the power of God and his faithfulness to his word. The Lord said the altar would split open. Did the altar split open? Yes, it split open. Right? He prayed to the Lord that the hand would be healed. Was the hand healed? Yes, it was healed. Who did all of those things? God did. That man knew it. Right? And so here he says, no, I can't go because the word of the Lord said, don't go, don't eat, don't drink. Verse 18, the older man said unto him, I am a prophet as you are. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you unto thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. The man went back with him, did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the older prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God saying, that came from Judah saying, thus saith the Lord forasmuch as you have disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but came back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say unto you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Because of this, your carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of your fathers. And so he goes on his way. A lion attacks him, kills him, leaves him there, stands guard over him. Donkey's right beside it. So the people are walking by. Here's this lion. Here's this dead man. Here's a donkey. And the lion's just sitting there. Right? And of course, they come back and tell it in the city. The old prophet goes back. He says, I know who that is. Goes back, picks him up, buries him. Right? Now, my point is this. <clears throat> Here are these people. Jeroboam, this man of God. Both of them, eyeballs, experience, signs, proving the power of God and his faithfulness to his word. 
And yet, how easily it seems both of them fail to respond in faith that would keep them true to the word for the prophet or that would bring them to repentance for Jeroboam. So here we are, and it's not right in front of our face. We can read about it, right? But we are that much farther removed from it in that sense, right? It's not drama right in front of us. So if for the people that it was drama right in front of them, they seemed to so easily slip into unbelief and the disobedience that is associated with unbelief. How much the more ought we be concerned, right? And recognize how easy it would be for us, right? Uh, who are not immediately confronted with the miracle. We can read about it, but it's not immediately here, right? So how much the more ought we ask the Lord to to just work in our hearts and give us a responsiveness to his word and a faith that takes it at face value and that will not be enticed aside, right, from someone claiming something different, right? There's all kinds of interesting dynamics there with that lying prophet, right? And uh, and yet the man of God, right, he, he knew what God had said. And, uh, you know, God doesn't contradict himself, right? And so he should have stuck with what he knew the Lord had said. So it's an interesting example. The prophet prayed as part of the sign confirming the word of God. And yet he himself ends up being enticed away from faithful obedience to that word. And so the writer to the Hebrews has a word of challenge to us along these lines. He says... Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. And so there's a part for all of us, right? There's a part for all of us to play with one another. That's what it says. Exhort one another daily, right? Uh, lest we be hardened, right? And folks, it's so easy, is it not? I mean, sin is deceptive and our hearts are deceitful and, you know, it is so easy. And uh, yet the Lord would really call us to believe, would call us to obey, would call us to be faithful. And so... We need to take care if that's going to happen, right? Would to God 
it could be done by us consistently without fail. We are not there yet, right? One day we will be, but we're not there yet. So we've got examples to encourage us, like we just considered. We've got words to exhort us, like we just read. And so may the Lord help us to use those things with one another uh, to keep us believing and obeying.